Pamela Anderson was the star of the world's biggest ever TV show, but it was the notoriety that came from a one-hour home video filmed on her honeymoon that changed her reputation forever. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. We're back. We are back. Happy Monday, everybody. And boy, is this a story that a lot of people have been wanting to tell recently. Yeah, it is. If you guys have seen Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's names everywhere right now, it might be because Hulu just released a TV series all about their relationship, about their very colourful history together romantically. And naturally, Zara, I think because of that Hulu TV show, a lot of people are talking about these two. A lot of people are wanting to revisit the 1990s when a lot of this stuff went down. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what is quite controversial about that television show is that Pamela herself has voiced that she didn't want the fictional drama series to be created, particularly, she says, because it was created mostly by a male team who, she said, perhaps added additional storylines to the show that didn't happen in reality. Also, she is about to actually do her own documentary via Netflix. So she wants the story retold, I think, with a different lens, but certainly wants to make sure that it's not in a really fictionalised capacity. Yeah, exactly right, which is good news for Pamela because at Scandal, we deal only in fact, Zara. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So before we bring you the story as far as we know it, let's talk about the 1960s, Mish. Let's go all the way to the 1960s because before there was Pam and Tommy, there was Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson. All right, Zara, Pamela Anderson was born on the 1st of July 1967 in Canada. Like so many of the celebrities we profile for this show, unfortunately, she had a really rocky and really difficult childhood growing up. Her father was an alcoholic and her mother worked two jobs waitressing. Yeah, she has also said publicly that she was sexually assaulted and abused by a number of people as she grew up, ranging from her babysitter to boys at her high school And she's also told the world that she never really felt like she could tell her family about what had happened at the time. She said, my mum was always crying. Dad didn't always come home. So she said, I couldn't break her heart any more than it was breaking. I kept these events to myself. An incredibly difficult way to start sort of your entry into the world. Yeah, and multiple instances as well. And I mean, we're talking about growing up in what? The 60s and 70s, so not exactly a time when this stuff was really open or encouraged, like there wasn't as much of a discourse about sexual abuse at all. Pamela's career did begin totally by chance. She was actually in Vancouver working as a fitness instructor when she attended a football game in 1989. She was 22 years old. This is one of my favourite stories, I think. It's pretty cool. When it comes to how a celebrity became famous. So Pamela just attended this football game and was featured on the Jumbotron. So like those big screens that they have at sporting games, which shows the audience members. Now, this particular cameraman continually focused in on Pamela Anderson on this particular day. She was continually featured on the big screen wearing a cut-off Labatt's beer t-shirt. Now, 
Pamela, this random 22-year-old, got so much attention from this one trip to the football that Labatbeer ended up hiring her as their spokesmodel. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story because it is one of those like classic fairy tale pluck from obscurity. You're super famous now. The following year, she was the cover girl of Playboy magazine's October 1989 issue wearing the school uniform blazer and ties. That was a pretty quick rise to fame. She moved to LA to pursue a modelling career and landed Playmate of the Month for Playboy's February edition. In fact, through her career, Pamela Anderson would appear on the cover of Playboy more times than any other person. I mean, I guess not exactly surprising given how iconic her name is now. Mm. But I think, as I said, a very, very quick rise to success and to fame. Yeah, it's also interesting because I think maybe our generation doesn't know so much or isn't as familiar with like the cultural relevance of Playboy in the late 80s and the mid 90s. Like becoming a playmate or living in the Playboy mansion was quite a big thing for models at the time, like glamour models at the time. I remember it was repeatedly referenced in Sex and the City actually, which is how I think I kind of learnt about the Playboy culture through osmosis almost in that TV show. It was at the Playboy mansion as well where Pamela actually met one of her first serious boyfriends. She ended up dating controversial movie producer John Peters who produced the 1976 version of A Star Is Born starring Barbara Streisand. Now, John Peters will actually come back up later in the show, but the reason I say controversial is he has a slew of sexual assault allegations against him across his career. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Pamela was known throughout her career for her candour. As NBC once reported, while a lot of other famous faces guard their privacy fiercely, refusing to talk about anything but their latest project, Pamela remains refreshingly open and honest and she's willing to talk about the most personal things, giving new meaning to the word revealing. For one, I think what the press was referring to and does refer to when they talk about how open she is, is she wasn't afraid to talk about her breast implants or the work that she had had done. She had her breasts done shortly after arriving at the Playboy Mansion. And this is a quote from hers about it. I was curious because I remember I was in a gym at Playboy at the mansion and looking at all these women going, look at the bodies on these women. I mean, this is just incredible. They are so amazing. And then someone said, well, you know, they've had plastic surgery. I was like, what? (laughs) In LA, Pamela eventually moved into acting. In 1991, she landed a small role on the 90s comedy show Home Improvement, but her big break, Zara, came the following year, 1992, when she landed the role of CJ Parker on Baywatch, a show about a team of American lifeguards. As the LA Times put it, Pamela became, and I quote, an internationally recognised icon in a swimsuit thanks to her performance on that show. Yeah, according to The Guardian, Baywatch was actually conceived as a kid's show about lifeguards saving swimmers. But, and as I quote from The Guardian, the lifeguards were sexy and suitably underdressed and were often shot running in slow motion. Soon enough, the grown-ups tuned in. I mean, is that really a show that kids were ever going to go for? I don't know. It's quite interesting to hear that that's how... It was conceived. I mean, whatever the recipe for success with Baywatch was, no one can deny that it fucking worked. It went on to become the most viewed TV series in the world 
ever, according to the Guinness World Records, which blows my mind. If you had said to me, most watched TV series in the world. What would you say? I think I would say something like maybe Friends or ER or something. Seinfeld. Seinfeld maybe, but I would not have said Baywatch. But this is like far and away the most popular TV series ever. For sure. At the height of its fame in the mid 90s, the show played to a weekly global audience of over 1 billion fans. Billion with a B. I cannot get my head around that. As The Guardian wrote, the show revived the career of lead actor David Hasselhoff and turned its cast members into tabloid fixtures. I mean, how can they not become tabloid fixtures when they're being (laughs) beamed into the homes of a billion people every week? We're so arrogant as well because these days we're always like, oh, well, people can become famous like via TikTok where they can reach millions of people and that wasn't possible. It's like, no, back in the day, you could reach a lot of people very, very quickly, even if it doesn't look like what we have today. Yeah, exactly. A billion, in fact. A billion. Despite the fact that Baywatch catapulted Pamela to household fame, Pamela did say in the late 90s that she still couldn't watch an episode of Baywatch. She told Interview Magazine, I watched part of an episode once and I almost fainted. I never felt really confident in what I was doing in the past. I don't regret it. It was a positive experience for me and it did me a lot of good. I mean, a lot of good. But come on, what was I supposed to do? Go home and have Baywatch parties and have my friends come over and watch me on television? (laughs) I mean, pretty humble, I guess. For a long time, Pamela Anderson was, as NBC once described, one of the most hotly pursued stars on earth. As Interview Magazine once wrote, Pamela Anderson, the actress, seems almost superfluous to her truer calling phenomenon. She is a celebrity storm so enormous that everything she does from the moment she gets out of or into bed seems to zoom around the world before she's even had time to adjust her makeup. That does seem very accurate to me because Pamela Anderson does seem more phenomenon than celebrity for sure. Yeah, I think that opening line, her truer calling phenomenon is like one of the better pieces of celebrity journalism I've read. It's so bang on. Pamela said that at first she didn't realise how huge the show and her own profile had become. But when she started travelling to Europe, there would be about 50 to 100 photographers running behind her trying to snap her photo. She said it was like flipping over chairs running into each other. Like at the Cannes Film Festival, boats were colliding and people were flying off. And I was just like, what? Who's behind me? (laughs) Bizarre. (laughs) So that's how Pamela Anderson got her start. But let's now turn to Tommy Lee because Tommy Lee is about five years older than Pamela Anderson. He was born on the 3rd of October 1962 in Athens, Greece. Now, his father was an army sergeant and his mother was Miss Greece in the 50s. Got to be honest, before we started researching this, I didn't really know much about Tommy Lee. I knew nothing. At all. So if you are on the same page, don't worry, it's our mission to get you across who he is. According to Tommy, his dad and his mum had a pretty interesting dynamic. His dad actually proposed marriage to Tommy Lee's mother the first time they met. They then got married within five days of meeting. Interestingly, Tommy Lee says his mum didn't speak any English and his dad spoke no Greek. So they would communicate with pictures or by translating bits of text, Greek text, that his mum would write down. It reminds me of that storyline in Love Actually. I was going to say, it's Colin Firth in Love Actually. And Aurelia. I can't remember what Colin Firth's name is in that movie, but Aurelia was the name that I remember. I don't remember his name either. I'm like racking my brains. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. And also how quickly they got married, we will see very soon the symmetry in Tommy's own life. And I guess it makes sense if that's what you see around you, people moving very quickly, people being very passionate with their love. 
then I guess that's what you emulate. When Tommy Lee was two years old, his father moved the family back to the United States where they did end up settling in California. Now, there, Tommy said he really watched his mum struggle. Now, in a book he co-wrote, Tommy said that his mum had moved to another country where she had no family, no friends, no money, did not speak the language and had no choice but to clean houses to make a living. He wrote this. My mom would talk to me in Greek and I wouldn't be able to comprehend a word she was saying. I had no idea why I could understand everybody else around me, but I couldn't make out a word my mother was saying. Experiences like that led to the constant fear and insecurity I felt as an adult. Yeah, this story seems like an odd one to me. And maybe that's the truth, that his mum never learnt a word of English and couldn't communicate with her own son. I'm, I'm just, I'm, truthfully, I'm a little confused by that, that Tommy was never taught Greek. Like if your mum speaks Greek. It, and that's and, like all you hear growing up how, between English yeah. and Greek. You see a lot of kids pick up both of the languages, right? Yeah, absolutely. There is something about that that if you're wondering and thinking that doesn't sound quite right, it didn't sound quite right to us either. I don't know if he was exaggerating or if that's just the truth that he could never speak to his mum or never learn Greek and she couldn't learn English. It was a very, very interesting story. Tommy dropped out of high school to pursue his career in music and it paid off. In 1981, Tommy and a bassist he had met previously called Nikki Six decided to form a group together. They recruited guitarist Mick Mars and singer Vince Neil, who Tommy knew from high school, and together they called their heavy metal band Motley Crue. That same year, so 1981, they released their first album, Too Fast for Love. Yeah, the band actually really struggled that year. They were broke and Tommy, Nikki and Vince lived in a house that was falling apart. But by September 1983, so two years after they had formed their band, Motley Crue released their breakthrough album, Shout at the Devil. Now, the album established them as one of the top heavy metal bands of the 1980s. I will not lie to the listeners, heavy metal is not my... (laughs) jam nor is it my groove but I have heard of Motley Crue how many heavy metal fans would say it's not my groove it's not my yeah well that's probably why I'm not a heavy metal fan (laughs) now that was Tommy's career in the early 1980s but what about his love life well in 1984 he married his first wife Elaine Starchuk who was 18 years old at the time there were actually different reports as to how long the marriage lasted some say it was only for 30 days in 1985 he met Melrose Place actress Heather Locklear at a concert in LA after spotting her backstage. After just three months of dating, Tommy Lee proposed to Heather. They got married in front of 500 guests in Santa Barbara in 1986. He was just 23 years old by this point. Again, all of this life, all of this kind of upheaval and rise to fame and divorces and marriages and he's only 23 years old. Yeah, walking down the aisle at 23 for his second marriage. To many, it was a pretty odd pairing actually. Heather was largely seen as America's sweetheart while Tommy was seen as like this reckless thrill seeker. But Heather did once say, Tommy doesn't worship the devil, he worships me. (laughs) They also seemed, from all reports, genuinely happy. Tommy once famously said too, I think we will be the coolest grandma and grandpa in the world. We will be like 85 or 90, I'll still be a rock pig and Heather will still be gorgeous. My God, the two of them were together for eight years until their divorce in 1994. Reports were pretty rampant at the time that Tommy Lee was living a rock star-like lifestyle and that he got up to some things that maybe his wife, Heather, wouldn't have loved. 
So we have some rumours, but not much to back it up. But you can, you guys will all know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of brings us to Tommy Lee being single and him finally meeting Pamela Anderson and their paths crossing. Now, these two first met in December 1994. It was actually New Year's Eve and Pam and Tommy shared a drink at Sanctuary, which is reportedly a Hollywood club. Yeah. Tommy wrote about the experience in The Dirt, which is the best-selling autobiography from the bandmates of Motley Crue. In that book, he said that he and his friends were sitting in a booth that night, I quote, popping E, drinking champagne and being fucking maniacs. Suddenly, a waitress came over and said, Tommy, here's a shot of Goldschläger. Don't even know what drink. I that don't is. know what that is. Goldschläger. It's for you from Pamela Anderson. Tommy was told that Pamela was one of the owners of the club sanctuary and was sitting at a table nearby. Yeah, he went on and said Pamela was wearing all white. Her hair was the most perfect shade of blonde I had ever seen. Her teeth practically glowed through her lips when she laughed, and she stood out so radiantly from everyone around her that it seemed like a beam of black light was shining on her from above. Now, he said that he walked over to her table and said something like, Hey, Pamela, I'm Tommy, but I guess you know that since you sent me a shot. Thanks. And then he said he slid over her friend's laps, sat next to her, grabbed her face, <laughs> licked the side of it from chin to temple. And rather than freak out, Pamela apparently laughed and without missing a beat, turned and licked the face of the girl next to her. And then everyone started passing licks around the table, Michelle. What does it say about our brains these days that I read a story like that and I'm like, oh, but what about passing COVID around? I'm like, wait, this is literally 30 years ago. But not even just COVID, just germs now. Like I'm I'm so more hyper aware of like being in people's space. A hundred percent. Tommy said on ecstasy, Joan Rivers looks like Pamela Anderson. So imagine what Pamela Anderson looked like. She was so beautiful. I couldn't even bring myself to think of defiling her with thoughts of lust. I just stared at her all night and she just stared back. It goes without saying. Yeah. Quotes like that from Tommy Lee are frustrating to say the least. And gross, but definitely speaks to character and definitely speaks to... His vibe. Yes, yes. And for that reason, important to include. Tommy said at the end of the night, he walked Pamela to her car, asked for her number and laid a huge fucking sloppy kiss on her. Yeah. I don't like the word sloppy, nor do I like the image of sloppy. Am I? I? Is that my problem? No, no. That is like sloppy is not a term of like positivity. Sloppy kiss as well. I don't want a sloppy kiss ever, let alone from the guy I'm... Spoiler alert, going to marry soon enough. (laughs) (laughs) No sloppy kisses here. We are going to find out more about the relationship between Pam and Tommy right after the break. All right, Zara. So we said before the break, a huge fucking sloppy kiss had just been laid on Pamela Anderson by Tommy Lee outside Sanctuary Nightclub. What happens from there? So it's not like they get married the next day. In fact, Tommy spent the next six weeks trying to ask Pamela Anderson out on a date, but she was too busy for him, which I fucking love. Yeah, exactly. But, and this is a quote from Tommy, after six weeks of telephonic fucking cock teasing, he finally got a call from Pamela to meet him at the Hotel Nico because she said she had 24 hours to play. To play. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, take take from that what you will. Now, Tommy wrote that he had learned that, and I quote, 
Clean cut actress chicks want a bad boy. So instead of buying new clothes and shaving and trying to look all fresh like Pamela, I put on my dirtiest fucking leather pants, slipped into an old T-shirt that stank of BO and didn't shave or shower. He added that he did brush his teeth. Thank you, Tommy. He also added in that book that he bought $400 worth of sex toys and outfits only to arrive at the hotel and discover that Pamela was not there. After hours of trying to track down where Pamela was, Pamela called Tommy back and said she actually had to fly out to Cancun, Mexico for a photo shoot and so wouldn't be making their date. Yeah, as soon as Tommy hung up the phone, he called two of his friends and told them to pack their bags because they were going to Cancun. He rang Pamela and left a message from the plane saying, I am on an aeroplane right now having cocktails and I'm coming to find your ass. She left a message back for him telling him he was out of his mind and not to crash her work trip. But... Sadly for Pamela, it was too late. Tommy was arriving in Cancun and when he arrived, he called every hotel on the strip looking for where Pamela was staying. She wouldn't return his calls, but apparently it was her friends that told her she should go out with him for one drink. Tommy wrote of that date, that drink led to another drink and that drink led to her hotel bed. When we finally fell asleep, that was the first time the entire night that we stopped looking into each other's eyes. Very romantic. Three days into the trip they were also at a disco called La Boom when Tommy <laughs> took off his pinky ring put it on her finger and asked her to marry him Pamela said yes and according to Tommy stuck her tongue down his throat delicious they got married the very next day the 19th of February on the beach in Mexico as Tommy wrote in the dirt we gave blood sniffed out a marriage license and were on the beach getting married before the day was over. like completely iconic Pamela walked down the aisle in a white bikini Tommy wore Bermuda shorts with no shirt or shoes After they said their vows, they reportedly walked to the end of the pier where Tommy pushed Pamela into the water and dived in after her (laughs) with a romantic gesture, (laughs) shoving them in the water. Pamela later recounted this day to NBC News. She said, as soon as we saw each other and really spent that time together, we connected and were madly in love. Tommy and I started out having a very intense, fun, crazy relationship because we were two kids. We were madly in love. It wasn't like drugs or alcohol or anything like that we were just both really passionate about life yeah the press and the public were absolutely obsessed with them as you can imagine newsday reported that hordes of paparazzi descended on cancun in mexico newsday reported that a few days later the pair were regretting their quick marriage and an annulment was on the cards But that same article also went on to quote one of the impromptu witnesses of the day who told them, if there is one word I can use to describe the atmosphere that day, it's ecstasy. Ecstasy. Pamela's parents didn't even hear about the marriage until after the wedding. Her mum told a current affair that she was heartbroken by the elopement, remarking that she didn't even know who Tommy Lee was. (laughs) Interesting that the mum was going to the press. Like you would be a bit sad I reckon I reckon my mum might be a bit sad if I I just ran away and married someone she'd never met I think Vicky and Trish would be sad and they would be mad 
Would they be sad or mad enough to go to the press about it? No. No. Certainly not a current affair. Now, it was only after the wedding that Pamela said she turned to Tommy and said, so what's our last name going to be? Like, what's my last name? Where do we live? What do you like for breakfast? Do you drink coffee? (laughs) Reflecting on that time, she also told NBC, you know, we didn't know anything about each other. We were just going home on the plane and we were married. It is kind of exciting. Kind of terrifying as well, if you ask me. Pamela moved into Tommy's Malibu mansion when they got home. Tommy said the moment they walked off the plane at LAX was when, and I quote, the shitstorm hit. He wrote, the airport was swarming with fucking photographers. We fought our way to my car and drove to my place. I glanced up at the hill overlooking the house and dudes with cameras were camped out everywhere. It was like we had gone from total freedom paradise of Cancun to this hellish prison of Hollywood Babylon. We hired a 24-hour security guard, but we still couldn't do shit without this mob following us everywhere. Yeah, it's probably important for us to pause here and say the madness that surrounded Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson did not die down within a few days of the wedding. Tommy said that the way that the paparazzi chased Pamela was unlike anything he'd ever seen or experienced before. They found themselves having to invent like elaborate schemes to avoid the photographers who would pop up out of the bushes or start high-speed chases with them down the freeway. Tommy said that they would literally send Pamela's assistant out of the house in a decoy blonde wig or switch cars to throw the paps off their trail. He said this of this time, everywhere we went, someone would yell, Pamela, or Tommy and if we turned a million flashbulbs went off if we didn't turn they'd start booing or cussing us out incredibly stressful environment huge amount of pressure as well not long after getting married Pam and Tommy emerged from a Hollywood tattoo parlor with each other's names tattooed on their ring fingers Tommy later wrote that they wanted something more permanent than a wedding band yeah sadly though a few months later in June 1995 Pamela suffered a miscarriage and as as Tommy Lee wrote in the dirt the paparazzi were relentless at this time and they seemed quite resentful about how relentless the paparazzi were this is what he wrote in the book when Pamela collapsed and lost our first child due to a miscarriage a Lee family curse my mother said the paparazzi was so intent on getting photos they kept cutting off the ambulance on the way to the hospital I couldn't deal with them trying to crash our parties but trying to crash our ambulance was another story horrific by October that year though Pamela was four weeks pregnant when she told Tommy he recounted I couldn't have been any happier dude yeah so they clearly really wanted to start a family together but behind the scenes Pamela was really struggling and their marriage wasn't particularly healthy. Now I do feel like at this point in the story I really do need to give a trigger warning because the next few minutes will detail a suicide attempt and that may be triggering for some listeners so there is a bit of a tone shift here. Now As the story goes, one night in October 1995, Tommy wrote that he and Pamela had a huge blow up. So this was just after she had told him she was pregnant. After their fight, Pamela reportedly stormed out of the house and spent the night at her condo. Now, according to Tommy, she took some pills and blacked out. He said, I rushed to hospital to see her, though the overdose was probably less a suicide attempt than a plea for attention. But it worked because I had no idea how much our disagreements were affecting her. Yeah, to divert media attention away from Pamela's mental health crisis, the couple told the press that 
Pamela had checked into hospital with flu-like symptoms only to discover that she was pregnant, which is all to say that before we tell the story of the key scandal between Pamela and Tommy and how it unraveled, it's really important to note Pamela and Tommy's marriage was not in a good place. Neither was Pamela's mental health. Like she was really deeply struggling. This was all happening while she was pregnant with their first child together. Yeah, exactly. So this, as you say, Mish, does bring us to November 1995. She's about two months pregnant and this is the point of the story that you were all probably waiting to hear about because this is when Pamela and Tommy's private sex tape was stolen without them realising. Yeah. We know a lot of how this scandal unfolded because of an article that was actually published in Rolling Stone in 2014. It was called Pam and Tommy, the untold story of the world's most infamous sex tape. In that piece, Rolling Stone actually spoke to the man who stole the sex tape in the first place, Rand Gautier. Now, what exactly happened? Here's what we know for sure. After getting married, Pamela moved into Tommy's home, as we said, and they ended up funneling a pretty obscene amount of money into renovating that home. They did things like install heart-shaped glass and iron doors. They built a pillow room, a pond, a 20-foot mural of heaven and hell in an elevator shaft. They installed a 30-foot swing that hung above a white baby grand piano in the living room. They made it what Tommy later called a huge adult playground. Yeah. Now, things really started to kick off and get dramatic when the couple abruptly fired a handful of people who were renovating their home and allegedly refused to pay them for their work on the grounds that it was allegedly poorly done. Now, among the people they fired was electrician Rand Gautier, who you just mentioned, Mish. Now, Rand was actually the son of a famous actor named Dick Gautier. Random fun fact. Random fun fact. Now, Rolling Stone described Rand as someone most people would dismiss as a doofus, even a conspiracy theorist who likes fast, powerful cars and dating porn stars. He had actually had a history of starring in some porn films himself and used to hang around porn studios a lot, building the porn sets, talking to the porn stars. So, We have a bit of a colourful character on our hands, a colourful character who did do work on Pam and Tommy's house and was unhappy with the way he was dismissed. Yeah, and he told Rolling Stone that he was so sick of working for Pamela and Tommy and so sick of their demands that he was actually willing to simply write off the 20K that they owed him. Like that's how much he just wanted to get out of their lives. But things got a bit worse and his maybe perspective changed when Rand and another contractor came back to the mansion to get their tools. Now, according to Rand, Tommy pointed a shotgun at them and said, get the fuck off my property. Speaking to Rolling Stone, Rand recalled, I was never really that popular with people, but I had never been held at gunpoint. It screwed with my head. Rolling Stone elaborated that Tommy made Rand feel small and Rand had already spent his entire life feeling small. So there was a bit of an axe to grind for Rand and Tommy Lee. I mean, God, it goes without saying, no one should ever be held at gunpoint, but being made to feel small and I felt my whole life feeling small is just like so bullshit. It reeks of like that 
vibe that men want to feel big and powerful and the worst thing you could do to a man is make him feel anything but big and powerful. Exactly. So Rand wanted revenge. He decided to steal a giant safe full of Tommy's guns and Pam's jewellery that he knew was hiding in the garage from the work that he'd done on the property. Mm. Little did he know though, reportedly, that inside that safe was a sex tape of his former bosses. Yeah. So we need to briefly explain where that sex tape came from. Well, it turns out after their whirlwind wedding, Pamela and Tommy honeymooned for five days on a houseboat in Lake Mead. Tommy brought along his video camera and apparently they weren't trying to make a porno Zara. They were just trying to document their trip. It is pretty well reported that actually the vast majority of the tape is a bit like a home movie of someone's holiday, right? Even Pamela and Tommy's friend at the time, Gurren Swing, shows up at one point running about a hotel corridor with a bucket on his head. So yeah. Quirky, I guess. Only around eight minutes into the 54-minute video is a bit of an X-rated scene. A lot of an X-rated scene. It's less of a sex tape in its entirety and more a home video tape that happens to contain some filmed sex in it. Giran, that friend that you referenced before, told The Sun, it's essentially them just being kids, goofing with a video camera and new toy. Tommy never showed me or anyone the home video. It wasn't for anyone else to see. Yeah, Tommy later said of the video, we watched it once when we returned home and then put it in our safe, a 500 pound monstrosity hidden underneath a carpet in my studio control room in the garage. Yeah. So how exactly does a 500 pound safe gets stolen. Well, Rand told Rolling Stone his side of the story of what happened. But we need to be really clear. Rolling Stone doesn't say that Rand's word is gospel. They do not say that Rand's word is fact. Actually, they wrote that Rand seemed pretty intent on painting himself as, and I quote, a strongman daredevil who kind of blurred the details that could point to other potential accomplices. Yeah, so he's basically gone in saying, yep, it was just me. I'm like this incredible man who was able to literally <laughs> steal a 500-pound monstrosity myself, trying not to kind of pull anyone else into the story, perhaps for obvious reasons. But for the sake of it, because it's also one of the only stories we have publicly, this is what Rand said happened. He told Rolling Stone that he spent the entire summer of 1995 preparing for the robbery. He said he went over to Tommy's house several nights a week to sit and watch, waiting until three or four in the morning plotting. He said, I took my time, I cased the joint. Incredibly creepy. Yeah, luckily for Rand, I mean, if we're trying to put ourselves in the mind of a criminal, it wasn't unusual for random trucks, vans or cars to be parked outside Pam and Tommy's house. The couple actually also lived next door to state-owned land where paparazzi would lurk. So him being parked nearby or casing the joint in his words wasn't super suspicious. Yeah, Rand told Rolling Stone that his plan was to put a white Tibetan yak fur rug over his back <laughs> And crawl what? on his hands and knees into the garage so that the security cameras that he actually installed himself <laughs> would think that he was the family's dog. <laughs> Just picturing this man crawling on hands and knees with a fucking rug on his back pretending to be a dog. Well, I guess this was 1995. Maybe the security cameras weren't that clear so that if you saw fluff, you would just think... Dog. Big fucking dog. Yeah, huge dog. <laughs> now, five days before Halloween, Rand made the decision to break in. 
And the details of what happened on the actual night are a bit sketchy and conflicting, but we have a few. Yeah. Rand said that around 3am, while his ex-bosses were asleep upstairs, he scaled the fence wearing his yak fur rug and pulling a trolley. After disabling the security camera system, he says he eventually went to the garage, got the safe, tipped it onto the trolley, wheeled it out of the driveway and down the street. Yeah. Now, others do dispute Rand's kind of storytelling of this time because Tommy said whoever robbed the safe must have removed it with a crane. Another source said that a fellow contractor was waiting in the car as a getaway driver. I mean, you'd think you'd need a getaway driver with something so big. How are you hauling a safe into a car? What do you mean? Well, the thing for me is, okay, he has a 500-pound safe on a trolley. Maybe I can understand someone tipping it onto a trolley and wheeling it out. I cannot envisage how a single person would then get a 500-pound safe from a trolley into the boot of the car, into the boot of a car with no other helpers around. Yeah, it actually makes no sense. Now, when... The safe was safe and sound, for lack of a better term. <laughs> After cutting it open, Rand found family photographs inside. He also found a Rolex, a Cartier watch, some cufflinks, a ruby and diamond cross, the white bikini that mm. Pamela actually wore at their beach wedding, and a camcorder tape. Rand actually brought the tape back to the North Hollywood porn studio where he worked part-time and watched it with the studio owner. There, he realised exactly what he had stumbled upon. He recounted to Rolling Stone, we put it in and see what it is and, of course, cha-ching. The dollar signs fly before our eyes. But we're going. This is the kind of thing people will get killed over. Yep. (laughs) It's a pretty (laughs) big thing to have in your hands. Rand actually took the tape to a guy called Milton Ingley, who was a porn studio owner that he knew. Now, according to Rolling Stone, Milton took control over this situation. He made a few copies of the tape before destroying the original cassette, trying to dispose of the evidence that it had actually been stolen. (laughs) Like, if that's going to do it. Now, together (laughs) with Rand... The two of them approached some companies to see if anyone would manufacture and distribute the film. I think what's really important to remember here is, and I know it sounds obvious, but I do think it's hard for us to get in the headspace of people who are living without the internet. This was a time before the internet had really taken off. Only 18 million American homes had internet access. People didn't just stick stuff up online. If you wanted to make money off a film, you usually went through a studio or some sort of production company. Yeah, but Milton and Rand couldn't find anyone willing to distribute the film because they didn't even have a signed release from the two celebrities who appeared in it, of course. Finally, one producer lent Milton $50,000 to cover manufacturing and distributing the tape over the internet. Milton used a quarter of the funds to make thousands of hard copies of the tape and hired someone to create websites with instructions on how to send through money which was then funneled through a few accounts. So just to clarify in case anyone is confused, there was never a plan for people to access this video online. This was a deal to say, okay, we're getting DVDs or tapes of Pamela and Tommy having sex. People can find instructions on how to pay us on the internet, but they will then get sent a physical copy. They will not be able to access it through their computer. Yeah, exactly. But Another guy who actually worked at Milton Studio started making his own copies and sold 500 of them from the trunk of his car. So this is just like a whole lot of assholes <laughs> trying to kind of take this tape for themselves, make as many copies as they could and sell it 
on. By the end of 1995, the first inklings emerged in the press that a tape of Pamela and Tommy having sex was kind of doing the rounds and was out there. The Sunday edition of London's Daily Mail did a recap of Pam and Tommy's year together, which of course included them getting married. And in the article, the writer mentioned that a video of the two of them having sex on a yacht was supposedly on sale in LA. Yeah, according to The Guardian, by Christmas that year, it was moderately common knowledge that a sex tape of these two existed and was doing the rounds, was maybe in some seedy corners of the world. But even two months after Rand broke into their home, Pamela and Tommy hadn't even noticed that their safe was missing in the first place. It was over Christmas when further work was being done to their house that Tommy realised the safe had been stolen. He said, I saw nothing but empty space where the safe had once been. Yeah, he went on and wrote, there were no broken locks or windows, so it had to have been an inside job. The only people with the keys were my assistant and the construction crew, which, come to think of it, included an electrician who used to be a porn star and knew that business pretty well. They were probably after the guns and jewellery in there, but they also ended up with everything from family heirlooms to photographs. He said he was so freaked out that he fired his assistant and went after the construction company. And in January 1996, they actually filed a police report and hired a private detective to figure out who had taken it. Now, at one point, Tommy allegedly sent to the Hells Angels, which is a very infamous bikey gang, to look for Rand and Milton at Milton's studio. Yeah, but around this time, Tommy and Pamela realised the tape was spreading much faster than they could keep up with and they were about to be presented with threats much greater than Rand or Milton put together. In March, news emerged that Penthouse magazine had a copy of the tape and they were planning on publishing whatever they could get their hands on. Yeah, and it was only about to get more dramatic for Pam and Tommy from here. That is where we're leaving it today. My goodness, this all happened in the space of about a year of them actually meeting and getting together. And keep in mind as well for the next episode, Pam was freshly pregnant through it all. pregnant, so baby. Yeah, a lot going on. And guys, I can't wait to kind of continue telling this story next week. Yeah, thank you so much for sticking with us till the end of this one. We have so much drama for you in episode two. If you want to stay in touch with us in the next week, make sure you follow us over on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast or on TikTok, Zara, at Shameless underscore podcast. Yeah, that's right. A big thanks as always to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley, for helping us put this one together. We will be back in your ears on Thursday, guys, with another pop culture wrap. Bye. Bye. Bye.